Well, we've been working our way through the first sermon of Jesus, the very words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7. And we've come today to Matthew 5 and verse 17. And so if you have your Bibles or your iPads or if you have it all memorized, that'll work too. Matthew 5, 17 through 19 will be our passage for today. I begin reading Matthew 5, 17. Jesus says, <laughs> Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, or fill them to the brim. For truly I say to you, verse 18, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot, that's the English version, the King James is familiar, not a jot or a tittle, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Verse 19, Therefore whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to go ahead and give you my outline this morning of these three verses. It's fairly simple. Jesus' view of the Old Testament, called here the Law and the Prophets, is number one, verse 17, it is permanent. Do not think I've come to abolish law or prophets. Number two, it is accurate. Verse 18, truly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass, not a jot or a tittle will pass from the law. Number three, it is relevant. Whoever relaxes one of these or dismisses them and teaches that will be least in the kingdom. But if you teach, you take the content of the Old Testament law and the prophets and you portray that as necessary and food for the soul, that, he says, you will, your status in the kingdom goes to the top. So it is a relevant teaching tool today. Let's begin by asking this question. Jesus says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Why would he say that? Why does he suddenly seem to pivot in his teaching? He's given us the blessings, the Beatitudes in, in verses uh, 3 through 10 and, and told us that if we have these experiences and these attributes upon us, then we will be like salt and light, salt in the earth and light in the world. And then suddenly he says, I don't think I've come to abolish the law. Why would he suddenly seem to change direction or topic? And I think it's because of this. 
in the Old Testament, there are predictions that a, that a new covenant is coming. Jeremiah chapter 31. Behold, one day I will bring a new covenant. And he will, it will accompany the Messiah. The government, Isaiah 9, 6, to us a child will be born, a son given. The government will be on his shoulder. He whose name is Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. And of the increase of his government shall be no end. So there's a coming king with a new covenant. And we will have a new government. So what happens to the Mosaic law? What happens to the Old Testament kingdom? What happens to the nation of Israel? Jesus says, after going through, he's given the kingdom in verse 3 to the, in the very first statement. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom. Well, you've already got the kingdom. And no reference to the law of Moses, no reference to the Old Testament. He's bestowed the kingdom at the very beginning of the journey. So I'm sure people were sitting there listening, thinking... This is a whole new age we're moving into. So Jesus wants to correct that misconception by saying, don't think that I've come to abolish or destroy the law and the prophets. In Isaiah 42, there is a prediction in Isaiah 42, 21, it says, the Lord was pleased to magnify his law and make it glorious. This is what Jesus is doing here. He, he's actually fulfilling that even as he's teaching it. It pleased the Lord to magnify the law, the law of God, and make it appear as glorious so this is what he's doing how does he make it appear glorious or magnified in these three points that I just gave first by stating that it is permanent let's look at verse 17 again do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets don't think that the word abolish is the Greek word luso, L-U-S-O. King James Version says, don't think I've come to destroy it. Luso means something like disconnect, to untie and let something go. It's used in Matthew 21 too of untying a colt so that it could be brought to Jesus. Go and untie a coat and bring it here. It's used in Acts 7.33. Moses told, or God told Moses to take off, loose up your shoes for your own holy ground. In other words, take the, remove them from yourself. It's used in 1 Corinthians 7.27 when Paul said, if you're married to a wife, and this is good advice, by the way, if you're married to a wife, don't lose her. <laughs> don't lose her. <laughs> In other words, don't treat her like an old shoe. Don't untie the colt. Take it somewhere. 
Don't abandon her. Don't divorce her. Don't untie the knot. This is the word used here. Jesus says, don't think I've come to untie the Old Testament from the New. To disconnect it from the New Testament. Don't think that I have come to uh, divorce it. Um, The idea is, and I think it needs correction today, because we tend sometimes to relegate the Old Testament to a lesser status, and even if we uh, acknowledge that it has any status at all. Jesus said the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, which was a phrase that was summary of, of the whole Old Testament, he said, I have not come to disconnect my teaching from the Old Testament. It's permanent. I'm, I'm here to fill it full, bring it to the brim, bring out its true intent. The second thing in verse 18, he magnifies the law. He glorifies it by stating that it is not only permanent but accurate. Look at verse 18 again. Truly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, English Standard Version says, not an iota or a dot. King James says, not a jot or a tittle will pass until all is accomplished. Not one jot or one tittle. What is that? Well, a jot is, in the Hebrew alphabet, a jot is the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. That's a jot. A tittle, uh, by the way, a jot, if you can think of an apostrophe, that's what a jot in Hebrew looks like. A tittle, do you see the, this is the letter B in uh, Hebrew. And do you see that little curvature at the top, almost like a teenage boy's uh, hair that goes it's a, it's a little, it's the slightest stroke. Uh, uh, in Hebrew, they wrote somewhat like calligraphy and with a flourish. And so they'd make that little uh, protrusion right there. It's not the whole letter, that's just one letter, but the protrusion at the very top that little uh, impression and mark. So here's what Jesus is saying. Not one jot or tittle, not the smallest letter in the Hebrew Old Testament, nor the slightest emendation, the slightest little curvature of one letter. (laughs) We, call, we would say Jesus believed in the inspiration of the Scripture. I'd say. Uh, sometimes the Bible will talk about the fact that 
It is the word of God. This is the word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And he means the whole law and the prophets. Sometimes it's more precise. And it will say something like this. The words of the Lord. The individual words. Not the whole Old Testament. That's, that's the forest. But the words, that's the tree in the forest. Here's Psalm 12, 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver that's been refined in a furnace seven times. That's the words of the Lord. That's how pure and fine that they are. Psalm 12, 7. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard them. Uh, that means that David in Psalm 12 saw not, the whole, not just the whole Old Testament, but the very words were God's purified holy words. Paul echoed this in 1 Corinthians 2.9 when, when in talking about the gospel, he says... We impart this message to you in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. In other words, the, Paul is saying, the, I chose vocabulary not because I was familiar with it all that much or because I thought it sounded good, but the Holy Spirit gave me the vocabulary to write the message. So you have David on the words. The law and the prophets was the word of God. Now listen, here in this verse, in verse 18, Jesus goes further than David, further than Paul, and he indicates that not only the Old Testament is the Word of God comprised of the words of God, but that the smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet and the most insignificant curvature of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet in the Old Testament are inspired by God. Can the church say amen? What we have here is awesome. We hold it in our hands. See, Jesus knew that if there is, if you can find one error, whether it's mathematical or historical or archaeological or uh, biological, if you can find one error, somebody else has a right to find an error. It's like the guy who had a watermelon patch, the old farmer, and, he, and somebody kept pilfering from his watermelon patch. So he put a sign out one evening that said, one of these watermelons is poison. And the next day he went out to look at his garden and 
there was another sign. And it says, now there's another watermelon that is poison. So nobody knew. Neither one of them could eat of the patch. Because once you have an error, well, there could be another error. Well, there is. There's an error over here. And so you have essentially relegated the Bible to an uninspired book. It's no longer supernatural. Jesus comes in and he looks at the entire Old Testament and he surveys it with a divine eye and he says, this whole watermelon patch is good to eat. Amen. Now we know it's safe. It's all good. Jesus, the Son of God, pronounced that you can now go back to enjoying the fruits and vegetables of the Word of the living God. Thank you, Jesus, for clarifying it all. So when you go into these uh, teachers' classes, the professors, I've had them myself, and they, they uh, denigrate and dismiss the creation story and the, the story of Jonah and the whale. Uh, the Red Sea is not the Red Sea, it's the Reed Sea, and they uh, walked across because the tide was low. I mean, there's all this stuff in which people will disconnect the Old Testament and disregard it, and Jesus brings it right back to us and says, no, you're on solid ground. You're on solid ground. Not one word, not one letter, not one little curvature of one letter is uninspired. It's all from God. Now, pardon me if I get a little excited about that because, man, do you know what that does for a preacher? Oh, the other night at 12.30, I was laying there. I was so excited to preach. (laughs) I almost got on Facebook. (laughs) And... Here's what I, I thought about this. My kids would have fussed at me. I know they would. But I was going to say, I am yearning. I am burning to share my learning. <laughs> so I didn't. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's so exciting. 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul put it like this, all Scripture. And at this point, nothing was written. There were no New Testament. This is Old Testament he's talking about. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Jesus said it's permanent. Jesus said it's accurate. And then one other thing, it's relevant. In verse 19, he says, you, if you t- don't teach this, if you disconnect the Old Testament, you, you're going to go to the bottom of the ladder. But if you exalt it, if you co- take the content, you present it and you teach it, you impart the knowledge of the Old Testament, he said, you go to the top, you're one of the heroes in heaven. 
to do and teach. The relevance of the Old Testament. Now he he assumes we will read it. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus plucked some corn on the Sabbath and the Pharisees came and said, what What are you doing? And Jesus said, haven't you read how David not on the Sabbath went in and took bread from the altar? If, if you're hungry, the Sabbath is made for a man, not man for the Sabbath. Haven't you read that, Jesus said? to the Pharisees, who should have read it. In Matthew 19, they said, uh, Can a man divorce his wife for any reason? And Jesus said, Matthew 19, 4, uh, Haven't you read that in the beginning God made male and female? He didn't, he, he didn't make several wives for Adam or several husbands for Eve. That his original plan is one man, one woman for life. Haven't you read that? Well, I'm sure they probably had or, or should have. In Matthew 21, Jesus told a parable of how the, the son of the owner of the vineyard would be killed. And, and they challenged him on that. And he said, well, haven't you read Psalm 118, which says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. Haven't you read that? The builders, the religious experts, they're going to reject the stone, and, but he will be God's head of the corner of the new temple. Haven't you read that? In Matthew 22, some came doubting the resurrection, and he said, Matthew twenty-two thirty-one, haven't you read that God told Moses, I am the God of Abraham? He didn't say, God didn't say to Moses, I was the God of Abraham, indicating something past, but he, he told Moses uh, hundreds of years after Abraham had been dead, he, told, he said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham. And Jesus implied there that the verb tense meant Abraham's still alive. Haven't you read that? The Pharisees were like, well, yeah, I guess, guess we'll have to go back and revisit that. Haven't you read? This was Jesus' response to the Pharisaic verbal attacks against him. Haven't you read? He assumed... God's people would read the Bible. If we believe that every word is inspired, every letter, the smallest letter, the jot, and every curvature, the tittle, if all of that is without error from God, then boy, we ought to read that. We ought to embrace that book. If we lost all other books. As long as we have this book, we're good. Jesus assumes we'll read it. 
He tells us to keep it because he says not only that in verse 19, whoever does them and teaches them, not just teach, but does them, obeys them, keeps them. Most of the problems of the people that we minister to, that we deal with, and that you minister to and you deal with, stems directly from a neglect or a rejection of God's wisdom given in the Old Testament. Stealing, vandalism, violence, racial injustice, government overreach, divorce, marital issues, sexuality, finances, parenting, old age, eternal life. Of what does it not speak? The accurate words of God. Deuteronomy 4, verse 5. I have taught you statutes and rules, Moses said, as the Lord commanded me. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of all people who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this, this nation, this great nation, is a wise and understanding people. When you keep them, you do them. You put them into the practice of life, the daily activities of life, people will, will begin to notice it, it, you don't have to come out and quote them. You just do them. And people will recognize and say, surely this is a great and wise and understanding people. He assumes we'll read. He tells us to keep them. And I close with this. He encourages us to teach them. The Old Testament scriptures teach them. Whoever does and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom. Therefore, all of you parents, I call on all the grandparents, address the children's issues with Old Testament stories. All preachers should make it a main part of their ministry. Teachers, we should all tell others about the creation, God the Creator. In six days He made heaven and earth and rested the seventh. We should talk about sacrifice and how Abraham was willing to give up his son Isaac. How Joseph refused the advances of Potiphar's wife and God elevated him to the throne of Egypt. How Moses led the people to the very river's edge of the Red Sea and God said, go straight ahead. And they did and the waters opened up. 
how God provided manna from heaven called angel's food in the book of Psalms. You think you're out in the wilderness and nobody can provide? There's, who's going to help me? God can bring groceries to your front door by the hand of an angel. Joshua in battle needing more daylight savings time he asked the sun to stand still and God did it. Little David the teenager going against Goliath the giant he told Goliath he said you come against me with a sword and a shield I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts Oh, how teenagers need to know how to face and cope with problems bigger than they are. You get it from the Bible. Daniel in the lion's den because he stood firm and would not worship the king's images nor bow to anyone but God in prayer. They put him in the lion's den But God sent an angel and locked their jaws. Hezekiah prayed to God and God added 15 years to his life when he was sick unto death. That's Old Testament. Put Psalm 78.5 up here. Psalm 78.5. He established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel. By the way, testimony is, the the difference is testimony are the stories. That people have testimonies. The stories of the Old Testament. He established testimonies, appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach the children so that the next generation would know them. Even children yet unborn would arise and they would tell them to their children. And notice verse 7. So they would set their hope in God. Do you know what young people need today, my friends? They need hope. They need to know that that problem is going to be solved. They need to know that that issue can be resolved. They need to know that that financial problem can be provided by God. They need to know that there's a God that answers prayer. They need hope that when no one will help them and there's nowhere to turn, that there's a God with whom nothing is impossible and He will make a way for you when you're not even old enough to know what to do. He will do it. He will give you hope. And where do they find that? How can they have that established and revived in their heart? It is when the parents and the grandparents tell them the story of Daniel and of David and of Abraham and of Adam and Eve and tell them how God did it then. Sometimes we don't have advice. We don't have wisdom for them. That's why God's given us the testimony. Isaiah 8.20. By the way, they're going to turn somewhere. They're going to look to somebody. They're going to turn to somebody. 
Isaiah 8.20 to the law and to the testimony. If someone speaks not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. If they don't turn to the light of God's word and we don't direct them there, they're going to find somebody with darkness and they're going to turn there. So I appeal to each of you today. Hear Jesus on this. Psalm 19, 7. The law of the Lord, it is perfect and revives and converts the soul. It's perfect. It's just what the soul needs to hear and to have. J.B. Phillips Some of you have heard of the Phillips translation or paraphrase, actually. It's a paraphrase. He was a clergy in the Church of England, but like many clergy in the Church of England, uh, he was not even a professed Christian. In his his account, he would say, well, I believe in measure. And they asked him, because he was a scholar, they asked him to translate the Bible into a children's edition so the children could understand the Bible. And so he began to deal with the words of Hebrew and the Greek words and put that into a paraphrased edition for young people. And here's what he said. I found my soul alive. He said, I felt like a man who was trying to rewire his house while the power was still on. (laughs) Have you ever tried that? When, When I read that, I thought, you mean you're supposed to turn the power off? I didn't know that. (laughs) But that's the Old Testament and the New. It's like rewiring a house with the power still on. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, help us today to turn to your law, turn to your light, to be revived and converted. In Jesus' name, amen.